Thanks again for being with us for worship this morning. Before we uh, get in, we're, we're back to the book of Ephesians today, but I just want to tell you something really encouraging that happened this week, actually just yesterday. Um, late, late on Friday night, I got a call from Northwest Bible Church, who we planted from in St. Michael. Their pastor has laryngitis, he can't talk at all. And so they asked if I'd come over, so I'm going to scoot over there quick after our service this morning and, and preach at Northwest. And so I said, yep, no problem, I'll, I'll do something I did a couple weeks ago and it'll be great. And so I go on my computer to print out the notes that I had and everything on our online file system had been deleted accidentally. There's nothing there, the, the folders are all empty and uh, <laughs> so I, I kind of went, huh, um, I did a little more than that. <laughs> you know, it was kind of, <clears throat> I kind of freaked out for a minute. It was like, oh, okay, because I mean, everything, everything is on there, our, our elder meeting minutes and our, you know, documentation and all that kind of stuff. And so I called Chris Baumler, who's the wizard of all things computers, and we, we figured out how you can go online and, and restore one file at a time and you can get these things back. And so I was going to go on and get what I did. And at that point, my computer chose to kind of junk out on me, and it's almost like the whole hard drive got wiped. I mean, it was just this really comical in some ways and really frustrating in other ways. I couldn't get anything for today, for Sunday school, for all that kind of stuff. And so I prayed and it just said, Lord, please get this, get this computer going. Let me get the stuff that I need for tomorrow. The thing that I want to encourage you with, and I don't remember if I mentioned this. We just talked about prayer last week. God does not always answer prayers the exact way that we pray. That ha- I hope you know that. That just because God answers a different way doesn't mean that he's not listening, that he doesn't answer. So yesterday, in God's providence, he answered through Josh. And Josh came into the office. We were able to log in with his computer, restore the things we needed. God answered the prayer, but he didn't answer it in the way that I prayed. And, I, and it was better it was better that, that Josh could be a part of that, and I was encouraged, and, and Josh was very helpful in that. But I just wanted to tell you that to encourage you that sometimes when we pray, we pray such narrow and specific things, and that's okay. We pray for specific things, but understand that God answers those things in a variety of ways, and we need to be looking for the different ways in which he answers our prayer. And I was encouraged, and I want you to be encouraged Not just that I got my way, (laughs) that I got my notes and I got what I needed for today, but the Lord is faithful and he does answer those prayers. I just wanted to encourage you with that. I I was really encouraged by that. So this morning we are back to Ephesians. We took a couple weeks off for Advent and then some prayer and scripture memory stuff at the beginning of the year. And I'm thankful to be back. I mean, as, as helpful as those things are, and we need to look at those different topics, we, we much prefer to be working our way through a book of the Bible, and so it kind of feels like we're back uh, where we ought to be for this time. One of the things that I love about the Bible is that it is timeless. The things that we read there, the way that the scriptures were tailor-fit to a certain circumstance, also oftentimes is exactly what we need thousands of years later. And I don't know if you ever think about the significance of this, but we read things in the Psalms or from Moses and it just resonates with you and the Spirit of God works through that word and it is exactly what you need. The Word of God never goes out of date. 
Sometimes I think people get the idea that we can somehow move beyond the basic things like humankind over the time will just kind of develop further and we won't have these struggles. Well, I hate to break it to you, but we still have the same old common struggles because there's still sin in the world. So when the Bible addresses things in principle, in specific ways, what it is dealing with is the big issues of our life. And these are the same issues that have been going on forever in some ways. Yeah, there might be different kind of ways of looking at it, different angles, different perspective, but the scriptures are so precious because they deal with reality. This is not hypothetical dealings. This is real life. And some of the things that we're going to see Paul say in Ephesians, especially now getting into what's called the household code, the things for wives, for husbands, for children, for slaves and employees and all this. We're going to get into all that kind of stuff. And I want to remind you that this is not some outdated, antiquated way of looking at relationship. As if Paul is just kind of seeing what's going around him and adopting that. This is for you. And this is for me. Now. (laughs) Because the word of God is timeless. The passage that we're going to look at in Ephesians 5, 21 to 33, is the longest text in the Bible dealing with marriage and family. And it's not that it isn't mentioned other places. Paul talks about it elsewhere. Peter talks about it. Jesus mentions marriage and significance of this. But this is the most exhaustive and detailed articulation of what it means to have a biblical marriage, to be a godly wife, to be a godly husband. Paul mentioned a little bit about this in Colossians 3. And the nine words that he speaks to wives become 47 words in Ephesians. And in Colossians, the 10 words he speaks to husbands becomes 145 in Ephesians. This is a much more detailed articulation of a biblical marriage, biblical parenting, all of that kind of stuff. And I am so eager to get into this because of the practical instruction that we are going to see here. This is the text that we need to understand. Whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you have children, whether you do not, whatever your situation, this text is applicable and helpful for us. So before we read the text and get started this morning, I just want to make a comment about where we are picking up. We left off in verse 20 back in December, and I'm going to read this morning actually from verse 18 through the end of our section because this exhortation that we're going to see in verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, that is the continuation of the life that is filled with the Spirit. This starts back in verse 18, and that's why we're going to start there in our reading, so that we can get this in context for this morning. So if you haven't done so, take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And I'm going to start in verse 18, and we'll read through verse 33. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. 
For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Father, we come to you again and ask for your help in understanding this passage. I ask for clarity of word as I try to articulate what your word is saying. I pray that all of us would submit ourselves to the authority of your scriptures and the instruction that we find there. We have no hope of obedience apart from the work of your spirit, so please, spirit, come and work in our hearts and bring about the kind of living that honors the Father and glorifies the Son and is ultimately the best and helpful for us. So please come and do this, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One little note that I want to make as we're jumping in here. Look, look again really quickly at verse 32 and 33, right, right at the end of this section. Okay, Paul says this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And now what some will do is they'll take that and they'll say, oh, okay, this is just, this is figurative language. Paul's primarily talking about the church, which I think he is. But people sometimes will ignore the, the practical application to our life because they say, oh, this is, this is figurative language. But Paul keeps us from that. Did you notice that? He says, okay, yeah, this is, I'm referring to Christ in the church. However, verse 33, he reiterates, right? Let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. We do not want to only spiritualize the text. We don't want to only see the significance in terms of what it means for this broad picture. We need to dial this in. And I think that's what Paul is doing at the end there. I just wanted to touch on that before we start, just to know that this is language about Jesus. This is language about his bride, the church, but it is for us as well. And so that's how I'm approaching this. So what does it mean for a wife to submit to her husband? What does it mean for a husband to be the head of the wife and to love her as Christ loved the church? That's the questions that we need to answer over the next several weeks as we look at this text. My job as your pastor, is not to open the Bible and convince you to think how I think. My job is to open the scriptures, study it all week, and prayerfully try to tell you what the Bible says and why the Bible says it. And when we understand the what and the why, I think it's a pretty short step then to being able to apply that in a way that's helpful for us. One of the things that I've been kind of disappointed with is to see 
specifically with this passage, but this isn't the only place this happens, where pastors will approach things like this in the scripture almost apologetically. Kind of really being careful. We don't want to step on anyone's No, I know this is really hard to hear, and I know this is not what you know, whatever. You know what? I'm not going to make apology for the Bible. I don't feel like I have to. I'm going to be gentle. I'm, I'm not trying to force you into some way of thinking, but I will not stand up here and try to explain away the Bible because this doesn't align with your thinking. The Scripture is our standard. We need to submit ourselves to that. So I want to tell you what the Word says, apply it in ways that are helpful, and pray like crazy that the Spirit does the work. That's, that's all I can do. So let's start, let's look at verse 21 as we move into this section. So 21 I'm seeing as the, the overarching principle to this whole section. Okay, Paul says you are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And we saw, because we started in verse 18, that this mutual submission is the overflow of a life that is led by the Spirit. We talked about that in greater detail in December, that the contrast here is not to be influenced by anything else, but to be influenced and controlled and constrained by the Holy Spirit. And then the marks of that kind of life are everything that follows. Worshiping together, giving thanks to God, submitting to one another, and then he dials in from that general thing to a more specific application. This mutual submission is an overflow of being filled with the Spirit. So before we <clears throat> throw up our hands and, and start to label Paul as degrading to women or being whatever we want to say, we need to understand that before he gets there, he says, all of us need to submit to one another. Verse 21 goes hand in hand, I think, with many of the teachings of Scripture. For example, Philippians 2 and verse 3, Paul says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, really important word, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Submitting to one another, as we're commanded to do here in verse 21, has to do with humbly laying aside our own preferences, our own desires, the things that we mm, kind of dig in on, and giving the preference to those around us for the good of the Christian community. This is mutual submission. And Paul says that we do this out of reverence for Christ. What does that mean? If I were to ask you right now, what does it mean to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ? What would you say? Here's what I think. When we understand what Jesus Christ has done for us, and, and what he has called us to through his word, it honors him, it shows reverence for him when we, through the power of the Holy Spirit, conduct ourselves in keeping with his commands. So when Paul says this, it's not just Paul saying this, this is the word of God, and when we obey this word, when we prefer one another in love, when we give up our own rights and preferences and these things and submit to one another for the good of the body, it honors Jesus Christ and shows that we indeed revere him. Jesus himself is our perfect example of this. If you keep reading in Philippians chapter 2, you read about how Jesus didn't hang on to his deity 
He came in submission to the Father out of obedience and he lays down his life for us. So submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ is simply doing what we've seen Jesus do. Jesus didn't say, no, I'm not doing that. I'm going to get my way. He comes and humbly gives himself, lays aside what is rightfully his and leaves us an example for this. This is what Paul's talking about, I think, in 1 Corinthians 13. When he's talking about love, and he says love is patient and kind, it does not envy or boast, it's not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way. Well, that kind of stings. Because we just want our own way. (laughs) You have to be honest. Every one of us would prefer to have things go the way we want. Submission to one another is not our natural default. We need help and correction and instruction. This flies in the face of what we hear every day. Every ad campaign, magazine article, wherever you get your information, everything, it seems, is designed to just satisfy you and, and get your way and do what you want. I mean, when is the last time you were encouraged to think of someone else rather than yourself in the world? It's very rare. Very rare. I'm not saying it never happens. I'm just saying, by and large, what you hear is that the world exists for you. And the Bible says, Mm-mm. you exist for God and you exist for each other. That's what produces the unity that Paul's been driving at through this whole book. So, with that principle in mind, this overarching command that all of us ought to lay aside our preference and have the good of others in mind. Let's start in verse 22. Read along with me again. Verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now what comes to mind when you hear the word submission? We just, we just talked about it a little bit in, in general terms, but now Paul's moving beyond the general and he's going to make specific application, still in the context of the overflow of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. So, what do you think of? And before we get into what we think of, I want to tell you a couple things that submission is not. Sometimes it's helpful to know what it isn't, right? So here's a couple things that submission is not. When I was younger, I wrestled for a few years. And if you've been in wrestling, you know that your coach will teach you something called a submission hold. And what a submission hold is, is you overpower your opponent, tie him in a knot so that there is no choice but to tap out. They can't do anything. They are completely overpowered by you. That is not what biblical submission is. It is not an overpowering of one to the other where there is no longer any opinion, any uh, contribution, any agreement, any discussion. You just, mm, you do what I say. That is not biblical submission. It's not a wrestling move. It's a principle. Biblical submission is also not completely synonymous with obedience. Paul uses the word obedience when we come to chapter 6 and he starts talking about children and how they relate to their parents. He knows what that word is. He knows how to use it. He does not use it here. It is not the same. And I was asking myself, what's the difference? Why 
Why, is, why the difference? Why not just tell kids to submit or why not to, you know, why, why, the, why the difference of words? And I think one of the reasons is that <clears throat> obedience can be done with a rotten attitude. You can have this kind of sense of obligation when it comes to obedience. We've all done this. You've all taken an order. You've all done something and you're kind of grit your teeth the whole time. He's like, I don't want to do that. Submission ought to carry with it this idea of willing participation. It is not this heavy-handed, top-down kind of, you're going to obey what I say. And so by Paul using the word submission rather than obedience, I think we ought to see that this is not only mutual like we saw before, but willing. So I think that's a couple of the reasons why he doesn't use that same kind of a language. So let's talk about what it does mean. And just a really short disclaimer, we are not going to get through everything today. This is, this is going to be several times of us getting together to, to figure out what's going on. So if there's questions that you have that don't get answered and all that kind of stuff, please keep coming and we're going to get through it all. So, so bear with me as we, <laughs> as we try to move through this in a way that is helpful for all of us. So what do you think Paul means when he talks about submission? For a wife to submit to her husband means that she willingly brings herself under his care, protection, provision, wisdom, and direction. Now several things happen. We're only going to get to one of these today. In submitting to her husband, she recognizes and embraces God's good design for her. In submitting to her husband, the woman recognizes and embraces God's good design for her. When we look at the Bible about marriage, and we read the different passages, and we see the institution of it back in Genesis, we should see that marriage is not a haphazard kind of, well, random thing. There is intentional design by God in the marriage relationship. And all of these designs that exist have been there since the beginning, One of the things that you'll hear when you talk about biblical submission is that, well, that's a result of the fall. Sin brought about that, that the need for that. No, no, this this was in existence. This was designed by God to be the way that a husband and a wife relate to one another. In fact, in 1 Timothy 2, Paul uses the created order, which is man being created and woman coming after him, for the foundation of his teaching there about the roles in the church and the roles in the home. This is not just a response to sin. We can't say that sin somehow produced a situation in which now women are forced to submit to their husbands. Submission is not a result of sin. It is the good design of God for the flourishing of humankind and the health of the home for kids, for all of that kind of stuff. Now one of the arguments that we'll hear again as we talk about this is that Submission is just the result of Paul caving to what was going on in the culture around him at the time. You probably know there was what's called a patriarchal system. Patriarch meaning male or or head man. And so in the first century, it was almost exclusively men in positions of power, leadership, whatever. And that would translate into the home. And there were, of course, abuses of that. I'm not denying that. But this is not Paul's attempt to kind of cave to what's going on around him and say, oh, I'm writing to this church in Ephesus. 
I know this stuff's going on. I don't want to be too disruptive, so I'll just kind of adopt some of their thinking and write this in. That's not what's going on. He is telling us what God's design is. In fact, I was studying this week, and I read some really interesting stuff, some history about what was going on with what we would call like a women's liberation movement around the time. And there was a lot of the same things going on where women were reacting to the overreach and the abuse of power. And it was there. I'm, I'm not denying that this was the case. But in this response to what was going on, specifically in Ephesus, the response of these women was very, very uh, disproportionate in the sense that they developed contraceptives, the use of abortion, all of this stuff to live however they wanted to live. And the idea that anyone, especially a man, would come and try to protect them or care for them was repulsive. Does that sound familiar at all? And so Paul is not caving to the culture. He's trying to contradict the culture and say, no, there shouldn't be this oppressive, top-down kind of male leadership everywhere. It's a submission that is willing. When a man conducts himself in a way that honors God, he will conduct himself in a way that honors his wife. And that's what he's getting at. I think there's a danger in trying to see this as something that was only going on in the culture. As only something that was dealt with back there. We, we don't need to worry about that. That was Paul. He was whatever. He was dealing with this context. We're not in Ephesus, so we don't have to do this. There's a real danger in that. One of the reasons is, like I just said, that wasn't true. That, that, that's not what he was doing at all. Another reason that kind of thinking is really dangerous is because it opens the door to misinterpretation everywhere else in the Bible. If you look at this text of the scriptures and say, well, that was just, I think Paul was really influenced by the culture. That was what's going on. We don't need to do that. What is to stop you from doing that everywhere else in the scriptures? Jesus said that it is a sin to have sexual relationship outside of the marriage covenant. Are we just going to say, well, that was, that was in Palestine. That's what he was dealing with. We're, we don't have to adhere to that. Paul says that women ought not to be elders in the church. Are we going to say, well, see, this was just this uh, oppressive male culture. We don't, we don't need to listen to that. Are you going to do that? You'd be really careful that we don't pick and choose the things that we choose to think are true in the scriptures. It is either the word of God or it is not. And I pray that you believe it is. And I pray that we can talk about it and teach it in a way that encourages your trust and reliance on the Bible. In submitting to her husband, the woman recognizes and embraces God's good design for her. But what makes this a good design? And I can stand up here and say that. But what makes it a good design? Why did God choose to do it this way? I mean, isn't it degrading to tell someone or anyone that they should bring themselves under somebody else? Well, let's talk about this a little bit. Submission, I believe, aligns with the way that God has created women. If you don't know this yet, let me just enlighten you. Men and women have been created very differently. There are some big differences. There are areas where women are so gifted and strong that by and large men have no clue about. And vice versa. 
And I'm saying that this difference in design is intentional and good. (laughs) This is not a mistake by God. He did not try to do something but couldn't quite accomplish it. And then because of that, there's this imbalance of power or something. This is design. Now, we twist it. We sin. We abuse it. That doesn't mean it's a bad design. It means we need help. It means we need the power of the Holy Spirit. So, because of this design, when a man and a woman come together, it is better than if two men or two women come together to do whatever they're doing. That's an unpopular thing to say. Some people think that this difference in design is an inequality. Right? This equality is the big, the, big, the big word now. It's the big thing. Every, everything has to be exactly equal. The result has to be equal. The starting place has to be equal. Everything. So people look at design and see from the scriptures that there is a difference. And they'll cry, oh, that's not fair. That's inequality. Is that what's going on? I, I don't get that from the scriptures. It, men and women are before God equal in worth and value, yet different in how they work. We've we got to have categories that. Peter affirms this. First Peter 3, Peter is exhorting husbands and wives in a similar way that Paul is doing here. And he says this, this is First Peter 3, verse 7. <clears throat> Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. So in this text, Paul not only points out that there's a difference between men and women, but he also states the equality before God of men and women. You do not receive less grace from God for being a woman, and you do not receive more grace from God for being a man. We are co-heirs of the grace of God. So do not let me hear the talk about men are more valuable before God or women are less valuable. We are co-heirs. Of the grace of God. No distinction there. And yet in that similarity, there is diversity of what we do and what we are good at and what we ought to do. Ladies, sisters in Christ, you have been uniquely and specifically designed by God with great care and intentionality. And every part of you that God has made, your emotional part, your thinking, your reason, your processing, all of those things are not mistake. They are design. And it is the way that God has made you to be. The fact that you were not designed to be exactly the same as a man is in no way degrading. It complements. Maybe you've heard this word complementarian or complementarianism the the man and the woman are designed by God to complement one another to come together in a way that is better than if they had done it separately it's a complement to each other and so I don't want to communicate that there is this difference in value because there is not but there is a difference in how we relate to each other and that is okay that is okay Now look at verse 22 again. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. 
as to the Lord. I think it's really important that we point out here that Paul does not condition the woman's submission to her husband on the perfect obedience of her husband to Christ. Do you get what I'm saying? Paul does not say, okay, wives, as long as your husband never messes up, you should submit to him. He calls them to submit to him as to Christ, who we've already established as the perfect example for everything for us. Jesus is the standard here, not the husband. Now when I say that, what I am not saying is that no matter what your husband does, you must submit to him. This should be obvious. See, here's, here's what we do. <clears throat> we tend to focus on an area of the scriptures or a, or a topic, and we forget everything else that the Bible says. So, in the discussion of submission, what that does not mean is that if your husband is calling you to sin, to go against the revealed will of God in the scriptures, it's not as if Paul is saying, look, you, just, you better sin with him, you have to submit to him, go ahead. Because that contradicts other places in scripture. You get, you get what I'm saying? Which is why Paul doesn't condition this submission on the perfectness of the husband. He says, as you would to Christ, so you ought to in your relationship. This is what I've heard before. Maybe you've heard this before. When you talk about biblical submission, say, oh, well, then you, you agree with like spousal abuse then. The woman just has to sit there and take it. Are you kidding? You think that's what the Bible is teaching? No, that is not what the scriptures teach. If if you believe that the Bible promotes verbal or physical abuse by this passage, then you don't know the Bible. And if you're in a context where this kind of passage is being used to condone that kind of behavior, get out. The Bible does not promote or condone abuse or sin or being led into either one of those things. There's so much to say on this, and this is why we've we, we got to come to a close here in a couple minutes. But I encourage you to come back. This is going to take a few weeks to get through and to articulate everything that needs to be articulated. And it might seem, when we come to the end of a Sunday, like we're hanging, <laughs> and we didn't quite get to the thing that you wanted to get to. I promise we will. I promise we will. So come back. And, and the other thing I want to encourage you with is that through the week, read this text a lot. Look at it. Try to understand what God is telling us through this text and what he's calling you to do or not do. Will you do that? Will you read this through the week? Become familiar with it so that when we come together, it's not the first time you're hearing this, that we can look at it together and hopefully learn together. So read this section of verses throughout the week. Seek God's wisdom on how to submit to one another. I mean, this is corporate language. When we come together as the church, what are we doing? <laughs> We're not coming together so all of us can get our individual way. We come together under the banner of Christ to seek each other's good and to seek the good of our communities around us to spread the gospel. And in doing that, we have to, to some degree, submit to one another. So consider what that means and pray and ask that God would give you wisdom.
So we're going to come back next week. We're going to keep going in verses 23 and 24. And we are going to look at this pairing of submission and headship. And what does that mean in a Christian marriage? And we'll get into the church and the picture that Jesus Christ in relation to his bride and how we should learn from that. And so I'm very eager to get back to that. But for today, this is just introductory, isn't it? But I want you to know that this is for us. This is for our good. And I am eager to learn with you. So let's pray together as we come to the table this morning. Father, thank you for this instruction. We are eager to get into this now in the coming weeks and we ask for your help and for your wisdom. We desire, Lord, to to submit to one another, to lay down our preference and to prefer the good of those around us. Would you help us with this? And for our marriages, Lord, strengthen us. Give every husband the love and care and patience and kindness that he needs to lead his wife as you have led the church. And give every wife here the ability to bring herself willingly under the care and protection, provision of her husband. We need your help with this, Father. And we ask for it now in Jesus' name. Amen.